This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is June 26, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Hi, my name is Eric Dame, and I believe I was at Hofstra Radio from 2014 until 2016. So I guess it was about two years. Okay. Uh, What shows and programs did you work on? I was the host of the morning wake-up call. Uh, I anchored Newsline occasionally and also did some sports, including uh, at least one Long Island Ducks game. In fact, I think it was only one Long Island Ducks game that I did. Okay. Um, Did you have any titles or positions at the station? Yeah, I was the program director for news, talk, and sports programming. Okay. When you were on the air, did you have any nicknames or on-air personas? Uh, I came from the radio world even before I got to WRHU and personally despised on-air nicknames and radio personas. I think your own persona is the only one that you should need on the radio. So the answer to that question is a firm and hard no. Okay. All right. I like it. I like it very much. I fall on your side of the, uh, the argument <laughs> there. So um, let's go back to what first brought you to the radio station. You said you had some experience with radio beforehand, but what brought you to Hofstra Radio? And then if you could paint a picture of what it was like when you first got there. So what brought me to it was uh, a fascination with radio that I've had since I was a kid. You know, I grew up in the New York City area in Stanford, Connecticut, listening to WFAN sports radio and 1010 wins and all these other radio stations. And I I was just always fascinated with radio and knew it was what I wanted to do. Uh, I went a slightly different route, which brought me to Hofstra and WRHU in, if not a unique way, then certainly a non-traditional way. Uh, I joined the military when I was 18 and became a Navy journalist and then later mass communication specialist, just a, a change in name, but not job, which meant I did journalism, photography, editing, uh, broadcasting of both radio and TV. So I I had worked in the form for 13 years, uh, the majority of 13 years, I would say. I did radio shows in in, uh, Europe and Asia, even did a American language show on a German army radio station in Afghanistan. So I, I had a lot of radio experience for a student in college, I would say, having done it for so long. And when I got there, um, I didn't actually join or attempt to join WRHU right away. My first semester, which was after I'd uh, finished an associate's degree at a community college in Connecticut, I wanted to make sure that academically I wasn't going to be in over my head. So the first semester I focused on that. And then once uh, that semester was over and I realized I did all right, I think I can handle a, a bit more on my plate. That's when I applied to WRHU. And what I hoped to get out of it was, I guess, several things. I wanted kind of a foothold in radio in the United States for all my radio experience. None of it had been done anywhere on terrestrial radio in the United States. It was all overseas. Hmm. Um, So I wanted to do that. And of course, I, looking at the the pictures of the Hofstra Hall of Famers in my first, uh, WRHU Hall of Famers, I should say, in my first semester there in the hallway, people like Lee Harris at 1010 Wins and the rest of them, it it gave me the idea that I might be able to meet some of those people. And that could be a positive thing for someone who wanted a radio career in their future. Uh, So that was why I joined and and what it was like when I first got there, kind of what it was like for everybody else, you know, going to that training class and learning about uh, FCC regulations, even more in depth, because while we were kind of subject to some of them, 
on uh, the American Forces Network. Not all of them, and there were other things we didn't need to do. And uh, it was it was kind of cool being involved in this this big organization from the start and seeing how many people were interested in this format that, you know, I'd been told for years already, even at that point, oh, radio's dead, radio's dying. Mm -hmm. I I looked around in that classroom and saw, I don't know, 50 other students sitting in there and thought, huh, for something that's dying, there sure are a lot of kids interested in it here at the school. Um, So yeah, that was, that was kind of, kind of what, what brought me to WRHU, what made me want to be part of that team. So you had some awareness of Hofstra Radio before you came to campus? Not, well, a, a little bit. So <laughs> it actually happened that uh, it, I, I fell in love with a girl from Long Island. We had a baby and got married and all that good stuff. And uh, we moved out to Long Island, or I moved out to Long Island to be with her after I finished my uh, associates in Connecticut, or actually just before, and was thinking like, huh, you know, I kind of didn't know what school exactly to go to. And I was tangentially aware of Hofstra having a good uh, television and radio program. And uh, I looked into it a little bit more. And as I looked into it, one of the first things that was a big flashing beacon for me was WRHU, seeing that on the website and thinking to myself, oh, okay, this this is where I need to be. So WRHU definitely was uh, one of the aspects that attracted me to Hofstra. Uh, as well as the fact that it was, you know, we were living in Huntington, so it was it was close by. It only took me mm-hmm. 25, 30 minutes to get to the campus, and it had what seemed like, on paper at least, a perfect program for me. And then I got there and realized, oh, it's not just on paper. This is this is exactly where I should be right now. Hmm. So you've got all this experience, and and you've, you've traveled the world, and I, I guess you have expectations about what a radio station looks like how did your expectations match up with what the wrhu studios looked like when you arrived oh the studios themselves that's an interesting question because they were kind of what i was used to they were very similar to what we had at at afn stations in italy and in greece uh, and and iceland and other places that i was stationed and that kind of gave me a, a, a comfortable feeling that there wasn't much difference you know i was over at these places and, and doing these radio shows for small audiences um, overseas and thinking it's got to be so different doing it in a major market. And here I was, you know, what, 20 miles outside of New York City, if that. And it was exactly the same. So having that comfort level with it was certainly a positive thing for me. And then realizing that, okay, a lot of the software being used is different than what I'm used to, but it operated on the same basic wavelengths. You know, there was nothing truly uh, uh, out out of left field that shocked me about anything that was being done there. So I think it gave me uh, a good feeling being in those studios and seeing like, okay, this has some cool stuff that I haven't used before. It has a lot of stuff that I have used before. And it feels just like I'm sitting in that chair or standing at that microphone uh, in these places that I've already been. So that, that's kind of what I thought of those studios when I got there. I was a little bit more impressed uh, and, and surprised by some of the classroom studios that we had, you know, the newer classrooms that were there and the setups that were in there, which was uh, similar but different um, and having different ways and things that we did things in there uh, in the, the radio television uh, program. I, yeah, the studios themselves for WRHU were, they, they, they felt like home. The moment I got there, it was like, okay. I, I remember this and this feels good. 
and seeing that energy that the students bring to it when they're doing their shows or especially doing live shows like Newsline and doing uh, the morning wake up call. Uh, it, it was just it, it was it was fantastic being back in the studio again and feeling like, uh, again, I'd made the right choice in going to Hofstra. Hmm. That's fantastic. But I got to ask, I mean, some students come in at 18, 19 years old, and they're full of confidence and cockiness. And they're like, I don't need the training class. I don't need you to tell me what to do. You've got 13 years of experience on multiple continents. And correct me if I'm wrong, an English language radio program for a German station in Afghanistan? Did you walk in and say, you know, I don't necessarily need all this? Like, how did you feel about the training program? Well, that, that, it wasn't me who said that. It was them who said that oh. to me. It was John Mullen and, and Bruce and then even my professors, Mario Murillo and, and Dennis Quinn. I was asked by each one of them and other people, what the heck are you doing here? You, you don't need this. And the answer that I told each one of them was essentially the same with slight variations depending on who I was talking to. But the answer to that question was, I did what I needed to do for 13 years. Now I'm going to do what I want to do. And what I wanted to do was be a part of WRHU. And whatever the requirements are to become a member of that team, I'm going to go through them just like anyone else would. The fact that I uh, may have done a little bit of it before, I I didn't feel like that made me special in any way. It made me more experienced. It might have put me uh, a few steps ahead of some of my fellow students. They're not all of them. Some of them were amazing from the start. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I, I came from a 13 year career of doing what I needed to do. And now it was time to do what I wanted to do. And WRHU was exactly that. Wow. Um, so what was it that you wanted to do? What was your, what was your main goal? Well, my first main goal was achieved as soon as I graduated from uh, the, the class. And I, of course, since I didn't do it my first semester, fall semester, I did a spring semester training class. And then the summer came up. And of course, a lot of students leave, but I was going to be just down the road. So I volunteered for Newsline. I volunteered for the morning wake-up call. I wanted to be on the air. And the first time I went on air uh, at Hofstra was a lifelong goal. I was now on air in the New York City radio market, which growing up listening to all those shows and stations that I did, that was a dream that I accomplished as soon as I started that, that summer after finishing the radio class. Uh, and then what else did I want to get out of it? I, I just wanted to feel, um, feel like I could do it outside of the military framework. Within the military, we have a specific way of doing things. Uh, and, and I wanted to make sure that I, I knew I was good at that. I wanted to see how good I was outside of that military framework. And Hofstra certainly uh, gave me the opportunity to see that there were so many similarities. And then the, the last reason, which ended up being incredibly important for the, the path that brought me to where I am today, uh, I hoped that I would be able to make some connections in the radio world. And I was able to do that through there and get a job in radio before I even graduated, which then took me to hosting a nationally syndicated show out of D.C. And yeah, I mean, that, that's what I was looking for out of Hofstra, and it provided all of them. Wow, what a great journey! And and I can I can see the hesitance on 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 Bruce Avery's face or or John Mullen and saying, "What can we do for you?" But it sounds it yeah. sounds like you you had it kind of in mind, and and they had the right situation for you. Yeah, I, you, they did. They understood um, where I was coming from. They were like, "Well, this is interesting. This is different." And I had many 
talked with Bruce about that uh, and John as well. And then John would, of course, use me when he's he's telling the other students what they needed to do. Like, this guy did it in a war zone. Why can't you do it on Long Island? You know, that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I was I told him I was happy to play whatever role I needed to play on the uh, on the team at WRHU. And, uh, you know, that, that I hope to benefit the station as much as it would benefit as much as it would benefit me, if not more. Uh, and I think it did benefit me more more than I benefited the station, uh, most likely. But, you know, having that opportunity and telling them like this, this is what I want to do. I want to be here. I'm not thinking of this as like I don't I'm not trying to, uh, you know, build uh, uh, anything like brand new. I'm just trying to continue on what I did. I'm not trying to show anybody up. I'm not trying to uh, check off a box to get something else at the school. Like this is what I want to do. And it's a big reason of why I'm here. And I, I think they did appreciate that after, after they came to understand it, um, which Bruce did and John both during, I believe they interviewed me together along with uh, a student or two, like when I applied for the radio station uh, and it ended up being a talk more about, you know, what I had done and then ended up with the like, well, why you don't need this why are you doing it and then the other side of that coin is well if i'm not doing it where am i going to be doing broadcasting like this is this is the opportunity for me to keep doing what i want to do so i kind of need to be a part of this as, as much as i want to be a part of it but it's a need in a different way like i'm doing it by choice not because you know it's, it's my duty or whatever it's something that i absolutely wanted to do and i think they did uh, appreciate that from the start it is a, a different mindset going back to school uh, as an adult. I, mean, I, I went back to become a teacher in my late 30s, and I was in undergraduate classes with kids who were literally half my age. And sometimes, mm -hmm. I, you know, I just felt like a regular student. I'm just taking notes. I'm paying attention, doing all the things. And then sometimes I would say, well, I remember as a kid, and they'd all turn and be like, well, we weren't born yet. You know? And so yeah. some, sometimes it was a, it was a little... It, I, in no way did I ever feel unwelcome, but sometimes I kind of felt not quite like a sore thumb, but just, just a little bit different. And, and it sounds like to me that everyone made it very comfortable for you in those training classes in those early days. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so. Um, you know, there were some students who I think were uh, a little uneasy around me. Um, some that remained that way just because, I mean, when I started there, let's see, if I started in 2013, I was a 34-year-old dad. Like, mm -hmm. you know, they, they would talk, we would talk about things like September 11th in a class, and someone would say, oh, yeah, I was in first grade when it happened. And where were you? Oh, well, I was on board the USS Saipan down in Norfolk, Virginia, uh, which would soon be departing to head to. Like, you know, it was, I, I was coming from a different place, uh, certainly, than, than everybody at the station was, other than me. I don't recall. Uh, any other veterans who were involved in it or anybody uh, other than, of course, the wonderful community volunteers who was even close to my age. So it was there was certainly like a um, it, it, was a, it was a different experience. The whole college experience for me was different, um, but it was again, it was what I wanted to do. And it, it gave me some great things like Owen Hofstra, uh, a classmate who was a member of a fraternity, said, like, you know, you should join our fraternity. And I just looked at him and was like, dude, I'm 34. I'm not joining a fraternity. Oh, you could have bought us like beer and stuff. I was like, yeah, I could have, but I'm not going to, <laughs> you know, things like that. Um, it was, I think it was less of an issue than I thought it might be when I got there. Uh, but it certainly did give me a different, different perspective. Um, 
And, and sometimes, you know, I mean, honestly, in some classes, I, I know that there were uh, classmates in those classes who were like, oh, this guy again, because I, I did have a lot of experience. And as a broadcaster, you know how broadcasters are. We're not uh, uh, scared of speaking and sharing our, right. our thoughts yeah. and opinions. So if I had a thought or opinion on something or experience with something, um, you know, I would bring it up. And I think some people uh, didn't love that about me, but eh, what are you going to do, you know? Uh, overall, the experience of being a uh, a a senior student, I will say, <laughs> or whatever you want to call it, it, it wasn't it wasn't um, all bad or all good for me. It was kind of a mixed bag, but overall, I would say it was mostly a positive experience overall. And when it comes to WRHU and the and the staff there, uh, which includes Bruce and John, and includes. Uh, of course, Ed and um, and Pete and everybody else who was there, along with the uh, the other executive board students that I served with while I was there, they made that from the from the staff perspective certainly a 100% positive experience for me. I don't think they uh, held me to a different standard, nor did they uh, not hold me accountable. They kind of found the right right sweet spot for me to, for it to be a good time for me. Hmm. That that does sound like the Hofstra Radio community that we're welcoming in all sorts of different people, and and you you find your spot, you find your niche, and there are people to support you. You've mentioned a lot of names, uh, Ed Ingalls and John Mullen and Bruce. Who else was around in those early days that helped you get comfortable at the station? Oh wow, at the station, uh, I would say some of my fellow students, of course, who were there. Um, there were there were several of them who were just good to be around, and some of them who had an, an energy that at even at thirty four years I'd had a long life by thirty four years mm-hmm. old already, and uh, just just kind of tired a lot. And the energy that some of them brought um, certainly helped there. Uh, Pete Silverman, while I was there, he was fantastic. He was a great guy to talk to. He actually, uh, I believe, also served, uh, and and of course Ed. Ed was great. And then the two uh, radio professors that I had in Dennis and Mario were, they were excellent as well, uh, while semi-affiliated with the station. But, you know, really, uh, Bruce was always, everybody knows, and it's very, uh, man, it really, really stinks uh, that he's no longer with us. But I think everybody knows the kind of person Bruce was. And I think he, uh, I think he had a bit of an affinity for me because of my radio background and other things and the things that we talked about. He in particular, um, you know, made things really, really easy for me there and positive. And I don't mean easy in like a letting me skate way, but just making sure things uh, worked the way they were supposed to for me and that I didn't run into uh, to any major issues while I was there. So I would say, yeah, him and, and Pete and Ed. Oh, Ed and I would talk about the Navy all the time because he had also uh, served in the Navy. So, you know, we, we, I was able to make connections with so many wonderful people at that station that, you know, it's, it's, it would be impossible to name them all, but those are a few names that, that do stick out to me for the wonderful, wonderful times and conversations that I had with them. Hmm. I, I know a number of students and, and probably myself included at times felt Bruce was, you know, kind of extra tough on us and, and pushing us because he had very high standards. But I think he also, like you said, had the ability to look at, someone and locate what they needed or what their aspirations was and, and, and to help them reach that. And it's really, uh, it's wonderful of you to share that, you know, there's a different angle to how Bruce managed expectations and, and, and people's careers. So, um, yeah. And, and, you know, I think that 
it also being older and coming in there, I, you know, there are students who would kind of roll their eyes at some of the things that would happen there that came from the management of the station. But having had more experience with different leadership styles and knowing uh, what what was good, what was bad, what works, what could work, what doesn't work. Uh, Bruce was certainly more on the good and what works side of those things. I mean, I've seen bad leadership to extremes that ugh, it's, 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 it's awful to think about mm-hmm. even. Um, so I kind of, you know, I, I would sometimes even talk to, to students about those things, you know, my fellow, uh, my fellow students there about like, Hey, I know like you, you might not get this, but there's a method to the man. There's a reason that he's doing this. And, you know, if he's holding you to a high standard, there's, there's a reason for that. And if he doesn't think that you're capable of much, he's probably not going to hold you to a high standard. You've got to, you've got to remember that as well. So I think that, uh, a lot of those same students, I think if you ask them now, now that I've been, I mean, my gosh, coming up on 10 years since I left Ofstra, I think if you talk to most, if not all of those students now, they would tell you that they have a very different appreciation for the man that Bruce was these years later. And I'm going to tell them right now, if any of them hear this, the appreciation for him is only going to grow as the years go by. Um, you know, he, he, he was, he was, he was a, he was a great man, first of all. That's most important. But he was darn good at that job, and and did a fantastic job, and left a a footprint in the broadcasting world that uh, you know it, it it may not be as widely known as some of the other uh, star makers that have been out there. But man, he he left a footprint that's going to be hard for anybody else to measure up to uh, there or anywhere else with what he did there. And man, I'm going to miss him a lot. Uh, kind of bugs me that I'm never going to get to talk to him again. Yeah, certainly. And I, I think even beyond the broadcasting world, even a lot of students didn't necessarily go into radio or broadcasting. The, the lessons that you learn in that environment, whether it's coming from Bruce or John or Ed, there's there's so many things that you learn along the way that, that hit you later on and you go, oh, now I get it. Now I understand. Yeah. And, and the patience that uh, those educators had is, is just so invaluable, I think. I, I would 100% agree with that and say that, that particularly when it comes to broadcasting and the things that people learn while at the station, not all of them, but some of them, some people who got there and were kind of shy, kind of joined and you were like, why did this person join? They're barely able to say a word without turning red and seeing those people develop into better communicators. And that is what Bruce was really all about. Communication is what was his forte and what he brought out in people. Uh, sometimes he was very deliberate with the way that he spoke to people in ways that I could see were intent on drawing out those, those conversations, getting people to open up and to communicate and to talk because it, that's the lifeblood of broadcasting. Of course, communication is, is everything. If you're just sitting in front of a microphone and not saying anything, not communicating, mm-hmm. that's not a very good radio show, right? So, so that's the basis of everything, but in, in the industry and in the job. But more than that, and I think for Bruce, more importantly for him, was that it's the basis of life. It's the basis of being able to get to know people, to get to know yourself. Communication is everything, and that's something that I think he taught that lesson to more people than we'll ever truly comprehend. Um, and I think some of them still to this day may not even realize how much they learned about communication and how the world works and how people work from Bruce Avery. Hmm. 
Those great words. Thank you for, for sharing that. Um, I, I think uh, uh, a lot of people will be nodding their heads and agreeing uh, with all that you're saying there. But I want to go back to your first time getting on the air at the radio station at WRHU. And you, you kind of mentioned this before. And I, I, I'm guessing you felt pretty comfortable on the air right away. But was there a process of getting used to doing things like you said, your way or pursuing your goals as opposed to the job that you had done before in the service? If, if there was, it was a very brief period because I don't recall anything specific. I do recall um, the first time I went on air was actually before I was a member of the station. It was during my first semester uh, and the morning wake up call was looking for someone to talk to them about. I can't remember if I think it may have been Veterans Day, uh, but I'm not 100 percent sure. It was certainly something veteran related. And I'm a member of the Veterans of Foreign Wars organization and, and the Huntington Post up there and was able to get one of them as an interview guest. They kind of brought me into the studio as a secondary guest. And uh, that was my first time on air. And I can't remember everybody who was in there, but I know one uh, who's gone on to do amazing things as a producer in New York City, Elisa Tang, uh, was one of the people who was on air hosting the show at that time. And seeing what they were doing, uh, I knew that I wanted to be a member of the radio team. But of course, I had my, my plan first semester. It was not part of the plan. Um, but that really, that, that first time being on air, even before I was a member of the station. And then when I got in there as a member of the station, uh, just kind of watching how things went, I'm a fairly quick learner. And when it comes to operating a board and being in front of a microphone, um, it, 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 some of it comes naturally to me and some of it's just stuff that I've learned over the years. Newsline was very similar to radio and TV newscasts that I'd done before. So I don't recall any specific issues that I had with trying to figure out uh, the way things were done there, um, you know, learning the differences in the software, uh, learning how to do live edits, you know, when we're on air and we're recording, coming back, so we can play something back, uh, learning the different uh, little things like that. And then, of course, uh, <laughs> the emergency broadcast test and all that stuff, learning about that. That was something I didn't have to do uh, overseas. But, uh, yeah, there, there wasn't anything major other than those kind of, uh, I would say, somewhat minor things that I had to figure out. Thankfully, with the team and everybody that was there and the wonderful engineers, uh, Ed Brunette and Mark Silverman, who was a student at the time that I was there. So many great people to kind of teach you uh, how everything worked and how to do it. So, yeah, they, they made it pretty easy. Hmm. So this last question is usually meant for people who started the station at a younger age and they were trying to figure out life or they thought they had everything planned out and what they expected Hofstra Radio to be. You've kind of alluded to this, but the question is usually, what did you think Hofstra Radio would mean to you in your early days? And uh, did it work out that way? Did it, did it deliver on the things that you wanted? It did. Uh, and then some. So I thought it would be a place where I might be able to find some like-minded people, and I sure did. I made some friends there that I'm still in touch with to this day. Um, it set me up for a uh, career, although a fairly short-lived one, it turned out, in radio. Um, I actually, John Mullen, uh, had an open seat on a trip into New York to go to 1010 Winds and get a tour from Lee Harris. I went on that tour and a few months later was uh, in the 1010 Winds office being hired uh, after, I guess I made a good impression on Lee during the Q&A session. I was the only one asking any cues during the Q&A session. So I think he enjoyed that, brought me in to meet the bosses. So I mean, it led directly to me getting that job, which led directly through CBS Radio and Intercom and then Odyssey uh, to getting uh, the job moving down to D.C. to start doing the syndicated show down there. And 
WRHU was really the springboard for all of that. Uh, it, it not only got me on air in the States, which is something I'd always dreamed of, it helped me with those connections outside. Uh, the good folks at CBS uh, News Radio at the time, which has you know, changed names five times, I think, since. Um, you know, it, and, and just as importantly, connections with the people there, with Bruce and with John and with Ed and with uh, everyone that was there, Pete, Ed Burnett, you know, different people. Um, those connections are, are just as meaningful as the ones that, that led me into the work that I did uh, for, for several years after I left. Though I've, I've moved on to something else, um, but I had a great time. I got to do it. I was on air in a major market hosting a show. I kind of accomplished everything I wanted to do in radio. And without WRHU, that never would have happened. WRHU was incredibly instrumental and important in my life, in my career and in everything that I've done uh, since I became a member there. Wow, that's fantastic, Eric. Thank you so much for sharing your your unique uh, journey and perspective on the radio station. Uh, I've got some more questions, and maybe we can uh, tell some more stories sometime. Sure. Thank you so much for doing this. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Brian. I really appreciate it, and I think it's a, a really cool thing that you're doing with this.